Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with C. Joseph Greaves, the author of Tom and Lucky and George and Cokie Flow, a novelized version of some events that happened in 1936. The book was released earlier this month, and uh, it's always a pleasure for me to chat with Chuck, so welcome, Chuck. Thanks, Steve. Great to be back. And uh, so listeners know, when you write literary fiction, you are C. Joseph Greaves, but that sounds so pretentious, I'm going to use your uh, your mystery name, Chuck Graves. That's fine with me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this book. I know uh, the last literary fiction book that you wrote was also based on a true event. Uh, this is, is something based on true events that are probably a little bit more well-known to people. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this book, and then we'll get into the research. And uh, just a, it's a fun topic. Sure. The book basically is about... Um mobsters and lawyers and prostitutes in the uh, 1920s and 1930s New York. What could be better? Uh, <laughs> well, there's a lot of, of grist for the mill there. Um, basically, um, about 15 years ago, as was the case with Hard Twisted, my earlier book for Bloomsbury, this book came to me, it was sort of dropped in my lap by circumstance. And what happened was about 15 years ago, I was having lunch with a friend uh, in California. Her name was Cece Levy. And I knew her dad, George Morton Levy, was a very prominent uh, New York trial attorney back in the Depression era. And I also knew that her dad had defended Lucky Luciano, the, the mob boss, in a very famous uh, trial that took place in 1936. And Cece casually mentioned that uh, when her father died in 1977, she had put all of his office files into storage in a friend's barn in upstate New York. <laughs> and I said, gee, Cece, would you mind if I you know, went back to New York and took a look at those files? And she said, go right ahead. So I jumped on an airplane, flew to New York, uh, drove up to uh, this barn in upstate New York, and sure enough, in the corner of the barn, there was an old tarp, and under the tarp were 15 <laughs> rusting file cabinets, and I spent uh, most of a day going through every cabinet, uh, every drawer, every file, until I found what I was looking for, which was George Morton Levy's original 1936 uh, file in the case of People versus Charles Lucky Luciano. And, and why did you do this? Because this was some time ago. You weren't writing at the time, were you? I was not. I suppose I sort of had in the back of my mind that I might be heading in that direction, but it just interested me. Uh, as a as a, a piece of history that was that was rotting away, you know, uh, below the radar, and I just thought uh, it would be interesting to see and hold in my hand, and it was. And whether that actually spurred me to start writing or not, or whether it was just something I I uh, salted away and uh, came back to later, I really can't say. And. Let's talk for a minute about writing something where everyone knows the ending. Essentially, uh, I was uh, I was almost thinking about the, the movie Titanic, where everyone knows how it ends, yet it was wildly popular because it was so well done. I, your book is a little bit like that. We know we know how it's going to end, but it it reads like a page turner. Well, thank you. You know, I really debated whether or not to try to make it into a surprise ending, the surprise being that he's convicted. Um, <laughs> but I decided it really wasn't because it was, as you say, uh, you know, a well-known historical fact. 
Um, there is an interesting postscript uh, to it, which we cover in the last couple chapters of the book. Um, but yeah, I you know, I think you can tell a compelling story even if the ending is known, and, and Titanic is a great example. And in this case, you chose four people, and it's the four people whose names are in the title to tell the story. So let, give listeners a little sense of, I, I assume that we all know who Lucky Luciano is, uh, but but maybe not the other. So maybe give us a little sense of who each of them are, if you would, please. Sure. L- let me roll back a little bit and okay. say that I, I had this file, and I had it for years. Uh, and uh, I wrote four other novels, and I was looking for a topic for my fifth novel, and I wanted to do another uh, more literary-type novel for Bloomsbury. And so uh, I took the file that I'd had for 15 years, and I spent some time with it. Uh, and I then uh, spent a lot of time with the actual transcript of the trial. Uh, the trial lasted about a month. The transcript is available for public display uh, at the uh, New York uh, Department of Records. I didn't get it there. There's also a copy in uh, at Trinity College's library in Connecticut, uh, and parts of it are online. So between those sources, I cobbled together the entire transcript, which I read. Uh, including all the motions and whatnot that have been filed, mm-hmm. and the reporter's transcript of the actual trial. Um, so uh, that was quite a bit of reading. In addition to that, I I, I researched um, everything that had been written about Lucky Luciano, everything that had been written about um, Thomas Dewey, who was the prosecuting attorney, um, what little had been written about George Morton Levy, the defense attorney, and there was actually nothing really written. There has been nothing really written about Toki Flo Brown, who was the star witness mm-hmm. for the prosecution. So I had all this material, and I had to impose some sort of structure on it. And what I chose to do was to take those four main characters from the trial and give them uh, alternating chapters in the book, starting in approximately 1914 and working forward to the trial in 1936, with a little bit of overlap to 1937, where their lives basically uh, converge, and they rise from obscurity to prominence, and that trial was sort of the flashpoint at which uh, they all became famous. Did they use the term trial of the century back then? Uh, I don't know if they did or not, and there were other trials of the century. You know, there there was the Leopold and Loeb trial, and Mm -hmm. there was... Lindbergh baby trial. There were other trials from that era that were as prominent or perhaps more prominent. But, but I think in hindsight, uh, this trial has actually gained prominence because I think as more has become known about organized crime in America, I think people have realized uh, that Lucky Luciano was not only everything Thomas Dewey claimed he was, he was even more so. He, he was uh, the head of organized crime in America. He was the head of the American mafia. Um, Dewey called him the greatest gangster uh, in America, and uh, people thought that was hyperbolic at the time, but it turned out to be absolutely true. You have uh, just come off a, I think it's sort of a, like a, a tour of the West where you were touring to support the book. Is that true? You were pretty much all over the West Coast? Not not so much well, the coast, but Las Vegas, uh, Santa Fe, Los Angeles. Yeah, I have my usual haunts. I, I started it at, uh, at Maria's Bookshop in Durango. Uh, I then taught a class at the Tony Hilleman Writers Conference in Santa Fe uh, two weekends ago. And then I went to Vegas, which was a new experience for me, and I did the Mob Museum and the Clark County Library there. 
And then I did four different events in L.A. Did you actually do an event at the Mob Museum? I did. That's kind of cool. What was that like? Uh, let me see. I'd never been to the Mob Museum, and I was, I was very interested to see that there was it's three floors, the Mob Museum. And the entire top floor is devoted to the 1920s and 1930s for the origins of organized crime. And there's, there's whole uh, sections devoted to Luciano and to the trial, which I thought was fascinating. And I even told the, uh, the curator of the museum that I had this material and that I would give his business card to Cece Levy, George Levy's daughter, and put the two of them in touch to see if there was anything that uh, they might work out together in terms of putting those files into an archive. Were you curious about all of this prior to your meeting with uh, CeCe? I, I, I wasn't the big mob uh, guy. I mean, I read The Godfather, and I watched the movies, and I watched, uh, you know, Goodfellas and Casino and all those, all those sort of touchstones. But um, it wasn't something that, that really um, fascinated me. Um, but it is a fascinating subject, and... Um, and the more I got into it, of course, the more interested I became. To the point now where it's funny, I, I'm 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 writing pieces for for I just wrote a piece for the Strand magazine about the ten greatest mob trials of all time, and, <laughs> and, and uh, I just wrote a very lengthy piece for the ABA Journal, which is the monthly magazine of the American Bar Association, about the Luciano trial. So uh, I guess people are now you know referring to me as a mob expert, which is kind of funny, but. Uh, I am an expert in this trial because I've I've probably seen more material and absorbed more material than anybody who's ever tried to cover the topic. Now, this is is it your fifth full length novel? Correct. So there's three. You you also write the James McTaggart series, which are more legal thriller slash mystery uh, kinds of things, and then you've written these two novels based on true life events. You mentioned, uh, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the title of the, of the first one. Help That's me. okay. It was, uh, it was Hard Twisted. Hard Twisted. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. So what's more fun for you, writing, writing McTaggart or doing the research and, and writing these novels? Well, they're very different experiences, you know. Uh, when I'm writing the Jack McTaggart novels, um, I've got to plot the book from beginning to end. Uh, and as I tell people in writing seminars, you know, when you talk about plotting a mystery, you're really plotting two different books. You're plotting the story you're going to tell the reader, and then you're plotting what's going to be revealed at the end. And you have to know both stories before you begin. So there's quite a bit of of work that goes into plotting a mystery. And uh, because of that, there's quite a bit of... Um, well, not pressure is not the right word, but there's a bit of trepidation that it's all going to come out at the end. Uh, so there's that. Uh, in contrast, there's not a lot of research that needs to be done. At least right. I don't have a lot of research because I, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I, I know the, the territory. Um, whereas writing a historical standalone is a very different experience because there is a ton of research to be done, and yet there's little plotting. Um, the events happened, and you depict them in the sequence in which they happened. There is a curation process that goes on where you have to pick and choose what you're going to include and what you're going to leave out. But other than that, there's no pressure to plot the book and make it come out at the end with everything you know baked to the right temperature. 
You know, I, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before when we've spoken, but I have you in this uh, select group of people that I classify as the most interesting man in the world. I mean, you're you're <laughs> one of those. You, you, you've led a fascinating life as a trial attorney and now a successful author in, in two completely different genres, and you own and run your own vineyard. <laughs> That that sounds a lot more glamorous than it really is. <laughs> well, me, I've seen some pictures you. of your work on the vineyard, and that really, when I've, when you see the pictures, it doesn't feel as uh, quite as glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a hands and knees kind of guy. I, I don't I don't I don't drive around like golf cart giving orders. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but how's that going? How's it? I know the last time we talked, you felt really good about uh, the product that that was coming out of your vineyard, and, and I think you felt really good about that particular year's crop. Well, uh, I had my first commercial crop this year. Uh, the, we brought the property uh, almost four years ago, and there was a Viognier uh, vineyard. Viognier is a, a wine variety. Uh, there was a Viognier vineyard uh, in place, but it was mostly dead. I, mean, I ended up replacing almost half of the vines. I've got it's a small vineyard. I have 1,500 vines. But um, we're now at the point four years on where we had our first commercial crop this fall, and uh, I was able to sell almost four tons of grapes uh, to a winery right down the canyon from me called Sutcliffe Vineyards, who, who make excellent wine. And I'm looking forward to tasting the, night, the 2015 Sutcliffe Vineyards Viognier when it comes out next year. So it'll be next year sometime. It'll be all my grapes. And so what's, what's the process? Uh, to help me understand it. You... you... I don't know. What's, what's harvested the grapes, you turned them over, and then what did they do, and how long does it take? Well, it's out of my hands at that point. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I turned them over to, uh, to Sutcliffe, and, um, you know, they put them in a big barrel, and they, they ferment them uh, with yeast, which turns the sugars and the grapes into alcohol. Uh, they will then... Um, age them in uh, in French oak casks for a period of time. I don't know months. Uh, at which point they'll bottle them, and uh, and within approximately a year they'll be ready for consumption. Ah, sounds like fun. Now, uh, listeners to this show understand the publication timeline. So, uh, you finished this book some time ago. What what's in the pipeline next for you? What are you working on, or, or what is is maybe already done and is in the in the production? Pipeline. Yeah, it's funny. You know, for me, I, I've almost always had the second, the next book mm-hmm. finished, or, or almost finished by the time the previous book comes out. This is the first time in my life I haven't done that for a variety of reasons. But uh, I, I actually, while this book was was going through the process, I actually um, wrote a uh, pilot television episode for the <laughs> McTaggart series. <laughs> Uh, purely on spec, but uh-huh. I've got a, an agent at CAA in, in Los Angeles who encouraged me to do it, and he gave me a ton of reading material, namely the, the pilot episode of every TV show you've ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> so I did a lot of research into that, mm-hmm. and uh, uh-huh. I wrote a pilot, and I'm going to actually, uh, starting next week, uh, give it another revision. Um, and I'm thinking, I, I am four chapters into another book, but I'm thinking I'm going to set that aside, and I'm thinking I'm actually going to write a theatrical motion picture screenplay for Tom and Lucky, because I think it really is a, 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 a book that could easily be a movie. You're right about that. It would have to be a fairly lengthy movie, I would think. It's, it's not going to be the, the typical 93 minutes or whatever they are now. 
Well, it could be. It's a matter of what you include and what you cut out. It occurs to me you'd have to focus more on the trial and less on the on the buildup. But maybe you could cover some of that in flashback. I haven't thought about that yet, but I think it can easily be done in, in, in a two-hour film. Well, when you wrote the screenplay for McTaggart, uh, was that your first effort at writing a screenplay? Uh, you know, I took the UCLA Extension screenwriting class back in the 1990s, just on a whim. Mm-hmm. So I had exposure to the process. Um, and I would recommend, by the way, screenwriting to anybody who who, who aspires to write a novel because... There's a lot of overlap in terms of three-act structure and character arc and all those things that, that, that make for a good novel. Um, so I had that background, but I had never written a, uh episodic television uh, uh, script before. So like I say, my agent sent me, <laughs> I've got Homeland, I've got uh, True Detective, I've got all these uh, uh, pilot episodes here. Uh, and uh, I read them all, Ray Donovan, I'm right in front of me, Masters of Sex. So it was fascinating <laughs> to read all those, um, all those scripts and, and sort of develop the rhythm of how uh, episodic television works and um, sort of translate that. So it, it was fun. It was, it was a, a learning process, but not totally unfamiliar to me, put it that way. And another check mark in the box that uh, again moves you further into the category of most interesting man in the world. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, Chuck. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Where can listeners find Tom and Lucky and George and Cokey Flow? Well, they can find it anywhere books are sold, as they say. Anywhere fine books are sold. Any, they can find it on online, or they can you know an ebook, or they can find it in hardcover, not not paperback yet, but in hardcover uh, in anywhere books are sold. Absolutely. Okay, and what's the best place for people to find you online to keep up with what you're doing? Well, uh, I'm on Facebook. I have both a, a, an individual uh, profile and a you know a fan page. Um, or they can visit my website, which is www.chuckgreaves.com. And they can sign up for your email list, and I can assure them that you do not overwhelm people with email messages. I'm not even sure if I got an email for the new book. You, you know, the person who was doing my, my website stuff, <laughs> uh, my MailChimp stuff, uh-huh. um, bailed on me this, this time around, so I didn't actually send out a MailChimp, uh, a MailChimp announcement. I, I just sent... <laughs> private email to people I knew, uh, alerting them to this, uh, to this uh, book tour. So, oh. yeah, no, uh, I, 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 I can almost guarantee you won't get a newsletter from me. But if you do find <laughs> um, uh, I'll be happy to put you on my email list, and uh, maybe once a year I'll send you an email. All right. That's uh, something that I would encourage listeners to do. So, Chuck, again, it's always a pleasure to speaking with you, or always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for your time today. Likewise, Steve. Take care. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I actually send out emails, and I send them out each Friday with a summary of that week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like Tom and Lucky and George and Cokey Flow from C. Joseph Greaves. Thanks for listening.